All right, back. It's time to give away a uh, oil change, $60 oil change. If it's more than $60, you just pay the little bit extra. If it's less than $60, take the extra money and put it against something else, like maybe you want to charge up your air conditioner or something. You can do it that way. All right, so $60 oil change. Be the uh, fifth caller, 823-0965, 823-0965. Joining me right now, State Representative Mark Lowry joins us from Maumel. And, Mark, good to see you. You're looking good, man. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. I mean, sir, you've been out in the sun? You've been, uh, been... I, w- I played golf twice over the, uh, the break and got... Uh, Little sun because I didn't put sunscreen on, so yeah, you know look, that's all right. I needed some color, I guess. Looking really great. Uh, we're going to talk about this later, but I'll get your. Now the politicians are coming on. It's time for me to ask the inevitable question. So, what do you make of the Mueller report? Well, I've I've been on the go uh, today, so I've not had a lot of opportunity to watch the coverage. But I think it's uh, uh, a big step forward for the president uh, that Robert Mueller has said. You know, the report speaks for itself. He has also affirmed uh, Attorney General Barr's uh, statements and uh, everything he has produced. Uh, so, you know, of course, that doesn't mean that the Democrats are going to stop uh, their obstructionism. No, they're still talking about impeachment. Yeah, and uh, and there's no there there. And uh, I, I think, frankly, that works, too, especially with Mueller saying, I'm through, okay? I, I have nothing more to say. Uh, it, it really puts a spotlight on how uh, the Democrats are just trying to. And I think when the inspector general's report comes out and shows some of the um, probably illegal activity that took place within uh, the Department of Justice in terms of uh, in getting the investigation and going. The FBI. The FBI. I mean, all of this, I think when that comes out, when Barr's research or his investigation um I think the Democrats ought to cut their losses because they're they're right now climbing out onto a limb that uh, I think saw it behind. Them. And I think the inspector general's report and uh, Attorney General Barr's uh, investigation is going to end up having that lo- that that limb is going to break off. It absolutely is. Well, I liked what Mueller said. He's when he's when somebody asked him. I, I, they didn't ask him. He brought it up himself about testifying in front of Congress, and he said, I won't do that. I'll just send a copy of the report because I'm not going to speak to anything outside the report. Right. That's it. Yeah. And I and I think that that's, uh, that's a very solid ground now for the president moving forward. Uh, it adds more credibility to the attorney general's statements, even though the Democrats have been saying that, you know, Barr manipulated the process and uh, said things that the Mueller report didn't say. Well, now Mueller's come forward and said there's not anything in his characterization that I disagree with. Yeah. That's a strong position for the president moving forward. I agree with that wholeheartedly. So you've been out now for, what, a little over a month? About that, yeah, a little over a month. What has been going on during, I mean, I had you on my show, what was it, last week or week before? Oh, a, week a couple before. of weeks ago, yeah. And we went over the uh, the session and we got your opinion of it. Now that you've had uh, time to think about that and now you're looking for, what are you looking towards now? Well, being on the Education Committee, which I've been fortunate to be on since the very beginning, since I was elected in 2012, 
you know, one of our constitutional mandates is that we have to do an adequacy review of education funding. Uh, basically, it's an 18-month process. We make a recommendation to the governor as far as the foundation funding level, and that has to come before other budgetary concerns or considerations are taken. The governor has to know what we've recommended for funding. Uh, we are moving forward with a new uh, study of adequacy. Uh, we had a presentation. We'd sent out an RFP uh, to a consulting firm or, or to seek a consulting firm. Uh, that has been put on hold right now because I think uh, the presentation that we got from the one firm that answered the RFP, uh, there, I think that there was some feeling that what they were wanting to do was going a little bit far afield. We really want them to look at Arkansas. We don't want them so much looking at other states in terms of funding and then coming and saying, well, this is what you ought to be doing. Mm -hmm. uh, frankly, we already get that information from the Bureau of Legislative Research. shows us how we compare uh, to the uh, 16 Southern Regional Education Board states in terms of the, the line items. Uh, there are some specific things that we are wanting to change in the funding formula. For instance, we'd like for teacher salaries to be outside of the matrix because the matrix does not tie the superintendents to spending as we recommend in the line item. It's a funding formula, not a spending formula. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> let me no, let me let me congratulate you on doing that. Just because You've got X amount of dollars doesn't mean you've got to spend X amount of dollars. Well, if we're sending it to the school districts and they know they're going to get their funding every year, mm -hmm. they should be spending it. Okay. And I happen to feel that in some specific areas, they should be spending it. If we're going to spend 18 months looking at line items, then there ought to be some uh, consideration of them spending According to that, I heard someone say recently, if you look at what we send to school districts for teacher salaries based on the, the matrix, uh, the average teacher salary would be $56,000 a year. We, shouldn't, we wouldn't be worrying about raising minimum teacher salaries. Right. But superintendents are not spending at those levels in, in many cases. So there's going to be discussions about removing uh, teacher salaries from the matrix and instead making it a categorical line item, which means that when it's categorical, you can only spend it on whatever the category is. And that would be, say, teacher salaries. The other area is transportation funding. Right now, we fund it based on every pupil. Well, not every pupil is transported. That's correct. So the analysis that I've heard is that one-third of the school districts in the state are winners and two-thirds are losers on transportation. But we know that you can fund transportation based on students transported, miles driven. Mm -hmm. it, it is an objective number, not a subjective number. So uh, some of us are, are really pushing for transportation funding to also be categorical, but to be based on uh, those two criteria, miles driven, students transported. Yeah, see, that makes sense because I know that uh, in other states that I've worked in, uh, they did it the way Arkansas does. They send X amount of dollars, and the, the legislature expects that they're going to spend it on, on transportation. Guess what? They didn't do that, 
and they were funding other things with that money. And then when it came and they wanted to make the change, the argument was, but we need that extra money that we were using. We didn't need as much as you were sending, so we used it in other areas. Right. Well, that's never what the money was there for. Yeah. And unfortunately, as we've looked at these inequities between the one-third districts that are winter, winners and the two-thirds are losers, every year what we've ended up, and I disagreed with it, is, well, to, to cure the inequity, uh, we're just going to put in some extra categorical money, money uh, that the two-thirds can apply for. And I'm like, but what about the one-third winners that have been collecting money That's right. over and above their expenditures on transportation for 15 years? Yeah, right, that's how long we've been doing it. The big it. problem is, is that this happens in a lot of the funding in, in schools that are getting more money or getting less money over in this area, more money. Like you said, if you would do more categorical spending, I think you'd have more control over right. how that money's being spent. And the real uh, tension that happens is that you have so many legislators, even conservative Republican legislators, that say, uh, you know, we have a firm belief in local control, mm. and we shouldn't be going in and micromanaging, uh, especially how they're spending money. Uh, and my counter-argument to that would be... If they're be, spending it wrong, then you have to do what you got to do. Right. And, and I found that out in uh, during the uh, 17 session. Uh, we found out that between uh, net fund balance, which is savings, basically, and construction fund balance, Arkansas school districts were sitting on $1.6 billion. So I passed legislation... That's with a B. That's with a B. Right. So we passed legislation that puts a 20% cap of 20% of annual revenue is the most that you can carry in your net fund balance. But so that school districts were not going out in one year and spending it on, you know, putting AstroTurf everywhere or whatever, right, right. Uh, we gave them five years to do the spend down. Uh, part of the spend down is that they can transfer money to construction fund balance. But even with that, you would think when you're setting a cap and districts are working to get below that cap, that you would see some deep decrease between those two funds. No, we've gone from $1.6 billion to $2 billion, so we're going the wrong direction. Going up. Yeah, it's going up. Almost by a half, what, half a billion dollars. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of contributory factors to that. One, one of them is another area I've been looking at is that Arkansas school districts collect over $500 million a year in debt service millage. They've put a, a ballot issue out. They've said, you know, increase the, the vote for the millage to build a new high school. Right. But of that $500 million plus, over half of it is not going to retire the debt. So that way the school district is able to continue that bond issue out 30, 35 years rather than paying it off it may be 10 to 15, which they have the resources to do. All right. We've got to take a break. we got news coming your way. Give you a minute to catch up on what's happening in the world. Then I'll get you back here, and you can catch up on more about schools here in Arkansas. All right. Back with you, Joe's Garage. Time to give away another oil change. woo -hoo. Ready for this? You get a $60 oil change. If your oil change is less than 60 you take that money and apply it to, you know, charging up your air conditioner or something like that. But if it's over 60, 
you make up the difference. It's a pretty simple process. Just get getting a $60 gift certificate for an oil change. Just know that. So uh, let's do that. We'll give you uh, a $60 oil change if you're caller number 8, 823 823-0965. And, you know, when we get a winner, Zach, let me know and, and give me a name, and I'll let everybody know that uh, we have a winner so that people aren't just calling you and driving you crazy. All right, in the studio with us, and the studio is over at Joe's Garage right now here in uh, North Little Rock, and we're back in uh, one of the, the back uh, rooms uh, doing the show, uh, is uh, State Representative Mark Lowry. And we've been talking about school funding. There's a lot more to it than what most people think that there is to it, and that's why it takes them, you know, a year and a half to come up with uh, the budget. I mean, it takes time. Yeah. And, and as a member of the committee, uh, you know, it, it took me at least uh, a term and a half to really uh, f- figure out what we're talking about with foundation funding and the matrix. And, you know, and, and I, uh, probably the thing that I, and I mentioned it uh, while we were on previously, the thing that it drives me crazy is every time we talk about uh, inequities and, and whether the matrix uh, takes care of it, you know, the common thing that we hear over and over again, well, this is a funding formula. It's not a spending formula. And and that's extremely frustrating, especially when we see some of the research that shows, for instance, in the area of technology, for every dollar that we recommend through the matrix, uh, several years ago, we found out that school districts were only spending 30 cents of that dollar on technology. And they were being able to shift the 70 cents of every of every dollar to other items and uh you know i just uh, and anytime you want to change those things or you want to talk about them uh conservative republicans uh you know one they'll, they'll talk about local control but the bottom line is they're talking about their superintendent calling them and saying that's what i was going to say they're don't s- mess with that scared of their superintendent and here's the issue local control is not a superintendent local control is a school board mm-hmm and school boards, uh, though they get some training to understand the budgetary process, in many cases, the, the school boards just take at face value whatever the superintendent tells them. And, uh, you know, we've got some school districts out there where longtime superintendents took a lot of pride in building up huge budget balances. Well, that's cheating the students that that money was intended for now. We fund every year. It's the first thing that gets funded. It's the largest right. funding category. Is it still six cents out of every, you know, about six, 60 it's, cents out of every dollar? is. It, it's education. between 50 cents and 60 cents. I don't know exactly where in there, but it's it's over That's half. That's a lot of, of money. Absolutely, it's a lot of money. And and we're not really seeing the positive effects. I When I first started pushing about the fund balance and how high they were, uh, and I asked uh, some superintendents, why, why is this so high? Uh, and they thought that they could just pass me off by saying, well, we're saving up for a rainy day. And I said, well, let me see. Uh, if I remember correctly, your district, uh, only 35% of your students are reading at grade level. I, I would say it's not just a rainy day. It is a storm. Yeah. And we've got to do something different. I mean, there's a, uh, I think I was talking to Senator Alan Clark about uh, reading, and uh, the state is working towards reading with a special program. Right. 
and they put enough money for everybody to be doing that needs to be doing this to doing this and not everybody's doing it that's absolutely right we found school districts that are not implementing this program even though it's mandated right and uh you know that's the that's the frustrating thing there's been a lot of legislation that i've sponsored related to uh giving access to homeschool students to take academic courses or to participate in extracurricular activities and we start we keep getting reports and this is that happened in the 13 session 2013 session so six years later we're still getting i'm getting calls um the the family council who has an organization that that, uh, that looks you know helps homeschoolers schoolers, sure um and i and i can't remember the name of the organization right now but uh, uh but they still have superintendents out there that are putting up walls to homeschool students being able to participate this whole issue it's win-win the school district gets funding for that homeschool student they get one sixth for every class that the student attends they get one sixth foundation funding uh and so you know we're we're constantly having to be vigilant uh to make sure that school district superintendents are applying the law fairly and correctly what are we going to do for the superintendents who don't? Well, that's, uh, you know, yeah, uh, that's where we run into this issue of local, con- you know, local control, this mantra, local control superior. Well, if local control was the panacea, then uh, President Eisenhower would not have had to send the National Guard in uh, to integrate Little Rock Central High School. If we held to that as the absolute truth, that local control is superior... It, that would not have happened at that point, the violation basically of Brown, uh, Brown v. Board of Education. Um, I think the issues that, I, that I've already talked about, the, the fund balances, rather than school districts sin, spending the money, money on the kids, that's an issue where we have to step in. And, and we have to encourage school boards to n- know more about their budgetary process and that they're the ones that's in control of this, not the superintendent. All right, congratulations to Valerie Gifford, who won the oil change. I want to let everybody know. All so right. If you're calling, stop calling. We've already gave well, she couldn't, a winner. Well, she couldn't come up to a better place than Joe's Garage. No, man. Yeah. You have your cars worked here, right? I do. I yeah. have mine. I've, I've been having my cars worked here since 2001. So if you've been somewhere for 17, 18 years, you can probably guess that they do a really good uh, job. They're taking care of Yes, they're yeah, doing a good absolutely. job. He does a fantastic job. As I always say about Joe, he is the Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> of, uh, of car mechanics. Yeah. So, Mark, where, where from here? Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you're talking about some of these things. What is it going to take to, to make these changes that – yeah, you're pointing out. I mean, there's serious, serious things that you're talking about. Let's uh, give you a moment to get your thoughts together, and we'll come back and and uh, and talk about it. We'll get our final break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Oh, let me laugh a little bit. Yeah, give me credit. I just watching a lady throw the first pitch at a White Sox ball game, and she wound up and she threw it and threw it to the left and hit the cameraman right in the face. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was too, there goes Ross. Oh my gosh! Boom! That's, right on, right on the end of. The <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> that's too good. 
That's too good. Anyway, she gets the ball and gives the hug to the catcher. Nothing for the cameraman. Nothing for the cameraman. For Hits the him cameraman. in the face. Okay. <laughs> That's too good. That's too good. All right. State Representative Mark Lowry is with us. Let's finish up our conversation uh, with him. And we've been talking about education for the most part, and rightly so, because when you look at all the money that's spent on education, and we, we continue to stay at number 47 to 49, you've got to wonder, why are we using all this money? And, uh, you know, these things that you've been talking about, uh, uh, Mark, if they'll make the changes that you're suggesting, do you think that we'll see, you know, maybe a, a, a quick change in the schools, or does anything ever switch quickly in, when you're talking to governmental program? Well, especially when you're talking about something uh, as big as education. Um, you know, you, you can't hardly – it's going to take a while to turn. You know, it's like a, the big ocean you know, liner, you know. Right. It's, you can't just turn it immediately. Uh, but the frustrating thing is, and I had always heard this phrase, but I'd never really experienced it until I started having to, to go up against superintendents or the educational administrators group or whatever. That is that if, uh, you know, for everyone that can come up with a policy that builds a 10-foot wall, there are going to be some people that come up with an 11-foot ladder. And I think that that, w- that, was, that perfectly describes superintendents in the state of Arkansas. Mm-hmm. They're going to find a way to get over or to get around or under the policy that you put forth. And you mentioned Senator Clark a while ago. Senator Clark and I sponsored legislation dealing with uh, unused and un- underutilized school buildings being made available to charter schools. Right. They're just unused. They're sitting out there. Uh, perfect example of the most egregious example the the um, uh, Kip Delta over in Helena, West Helena, right? Wanted to you to, which to is purchase. by the way, let's just everybody be understanding about this. Kip is one of the most successful charter schools in the state of Arkansas. Excellent program, and they wanted access to one of two closed school buildings in Helena, West Helena. And the district would not open it up, would not make it available. The legislation at that time was that charter schools would have right of a first uh, right of access or first refusal. But that meant to the school district that if they didn't put it up for sale, then they nothing didn't have happened. to. Nothing happened. So Senator Clark and I co-sponsored legislation that says right of access. Mm-hmm. If that building is identified as unused or underutilized that the charter school can make an offer at face value, I mean, market value. Um, and, you know, one of the buildings they wanted had trees growing in, up through the floor. I mean, they ended up, when they finally got access to the building, they had to spend $9 million to bring an existing building up to code where they could use it. Right. But that's cheaper than building from scratch. Yeah, yeah, and apparently it was in this case. But it took us two years once the legislation passed, and there was opposition to it. School districts like, and charter schools are public schools. Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about making a school building available to, to, private, to school. private schools. But uh, I remember one state senator saying, you know, why are we trying to help our competitors? 
And I said, charter schools, that's the problem with education, is we're trying to give children choice, which would include charter schools, and you're looking at them and characterize them as your enemy. As your enemy. And uh, so, but it took two years for us to finally get the rules written just to implement the legislation that was passed in the 17th session. Uh, the, the rule was first written to define uh, underutilized as sporadic use. And I question in a public hearing, is, is there a legal definition in statute of sporadic? Well, no, there isn't. I said, so you've defined one word we don't have a definition for with another word that doesn't have a definition. So we had to, you know, work through, okay, what would that be? Would it be 40% use, 50%, you know, whatever. And the, um, and the question comes up, at what point do you realize that you are hindering children from the primary mission of public schools, which is their education? Yes, and the worst thing is, uh, the first time I ran the bill in the House uh, in the 17th session, it did not receive enough votes. Even though we have a supermajority Republicans, yeah. I only got, I think, 48, 49 votes. Sad story. So I uh, started going to members uh, that I thought should support it. And they said, well, my superintendent called me, said he doesn't like it. I said, well, let me ask you several questions. One, does that school district have any un unused buildings? Well, no. Do you have an existing charter school that would apply if they're what? Well, no. I said, then what there's are you no. Worried about? Then why are they voting? And so we secured the votes then uh, on a motion of reconsideration to get it passed. Uh, but, uh, you know, those are the things that we're up against. And the frustrating thing is that a lot of times tax dollars are being spent to lobby against the ideas that we're pre presenting of trying to give children opportunity do you believe i mean we've talked about this tax dollars being used by an agency within the state to lobby against a piece of legislation that would do something good but they because this other state agency doesn't want it they get out and lobby against it i've heard more and more uh, representatives and senators talking about that's got to stop. Do you think in the next General uh, Assembly that that might just be brought to an end? Well, I, I know. Here's a guy that is really against uh, yeah, hell, yeah. those people. Well, every legislative session there's discussion about trying to limit that. I know Senator Hammer. Yep. Uh, you've mentioned Senator Mark Johnson. Uh, both are in agreement. We, we've got to do something to cut this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, one thing we went after this time was that school district dollars should not be used to pay uh, the uh, professional association dues for the superintendents and the principals. That should be coming out of their pocket, just like it comes out of the pocket of a teacher who wants to be uh, a member of the AEA. And uh, so, the, you know, it's an issue of equity. Uh, it is an issue of also accountability. And, uh, but I think the main thing that's going to happen, we're, there's going to have to be party discipline among Republicans, those of us who are in the supermajority, party discipline to make sure that we vote for accountability. And I think the, the issue of limiting the, the use of state dollars or local school district dollars to lobby against legislation is one of those issues where we have to have party discipline. Yeah, this is something. Go ahead, jump on in. Yeah, we've been uh, <laughs> screaming about this. You're 100% correct on this very issue. The notion 
that your tax dollars, and more importantly, frankly, my tax dollars, are being taken out of my pocket, given to schools, instead of being used to pay for students, for supplies, for teachers, those bureau hacks take that money, send it out to a private organization that drives up to the legislature and lobbies against the interests of Arkansas citizens. It's a crime, and any Republican that votes against a bill to do away with that should be primaried and booted out. Well, I, I think that there has to be uh, someone file a lawsuit for illegal exaction. I agree with you. I don't see how it's I legal. Mean, we, we, I do not see well, how it's legal. I don't believe it is. Exactly. And and I think someone, we need to show resolve of where, and, and you know, usually it's you need to find a parent who's That's fired right. up about it and, and create a test case, probably uh, – uh, you know, one of the larger larger school districts. Right, you know, right. uh, and and set that establish. I mean, establish that precedent. That's right. Uh, we shouldn't have to always do it through legislation. I agree with you. The, the, you know, the problem is that bureau hacks t- tell citizens, uh, "Oh, you think you're right on the law? Go prove it." And then the citizens got to dig into their pocket and sue. Uh, I agree. Uh, I think that test cases are important, and I would like to see this be resolved with a test case. But one of the reasons we've passed many pieces of legislation is because it's a way to avoid forcing Arkansas citizens to have to dig in their pockets. Well, that doesn't mean I disagree with right, you, but exactly. this is that balance that we're always trying to strike. Right. Well, one example of that, in 2013 session, I sponsored legislation to establish uh, that joint custody is a preferable path in child custody issues. Previous to that, Arkansas statute, Arkansas precedent was based on one judge, one judge saying that the state of Arkansas does not favor joint custody. And that became the precedent. That's amazing. So all we had to do was pass legislation, though I really wanted a, a, a rebuttable presumption on joint custody, I was able to pass legislation says that where possible, the state of Arkansas favors joint custody. Well, judges, and we passed the legislation. Good judges you. tell me all the time, you would not believe, I, you know, I'll say, you know, I just don't know that we really made much progress. They said, you have no idea yeah. how much yeah. progress was made. Right, 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 right. Well, and this is, there's this inherent resistance in the bureaucracy to what is oftentimes obvious in the law. And that's why you need one or two, one of two resolutions, a lawsuit or further clarifying language in legislation that you and I already know is clear. But the problem is, who's the first line of, of interpretation? The bureaucrats. Yes, these bureaucrats work for us on paper, and you're their boss. You are literally their boss. And guess who's your boss, with all due respect? Me right. and every other voter. <laughs> and that's how the system works. You know, it's like it's like a kuna makata from the hell or matata, whatever that circle of life nonsense. Yeah. Right. Meaning it all goes in a big circle. And, we, and without that, we have no responsibility. And bureaucrats without responsibility are dangerous actors. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're out of time, guys. We'll have you guys back on together here in the near future. We got another hour to do that. And that guy that you just heard, Robert Steinbach, he'll be with us. Oh, okay. uh, Mark, if you want to stick around, feel free. Sure, I'll hang all on. All right. We're going to Robert talk. Robert mind. Not talk, at all. Talk about <laughs> what Mueller talked about today and how the Democrats are trying to grab the, uh, the words out of his mouth and change them. I mean, literally change them.
We'll talk about it. When we come back, it's the Dave Ellswick Show live from Joe's Garage here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right. Last hour of the show today, live at Joe's Garage, the Dave Ellswick Show in North Little Rock today. And uh, here comes Joe. He's going to come back and join us here on the uh, the show today. We'll let him talk a little bit of politics with us as well. And we got uh, Robert Steinbach, who is here. Let me uh, do my typical for Robert, and that is that he is a legal professor at uh, the Bowen School of Law. And uh, his opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily reflect the Bowen School of Law or the uh, UALR uh, University. Also here is uh, State Representative Mark Lowry. And guys, let me just start off today. Everybody's been talking about Mueller, 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 Mueller. What do you think about what Mueller said? Hey, he might have said this. He might have said that. Nobody wants to quote him. Uh, so let's look at what Pelosi said today. We'll not have an impeachment unless we have an ironclad case. You know what that tells me after you listen to what Mueller said today? There was not an ironclad case to find the president guilty of a collusion or obstruction or anything. If they had, they, he would have been very reticent going uh, to the, uh, uh, the, 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 the House and saying you guys should impeach this guy. He didn't do that because he said they didn't have enough. And if you don't have enough, you're not guilty. That's the way it works in this country. So I'm not expecting anytime soon uh, that impeachment is going to start because they're going to lose if they do. For sure they're going to lose, but uh, I've got to be a bit more critical of Mueller. Mueller comes out, the first thing he says is you're innocent until proven guilty. Of course, we all know that, but it's important to repeat that. And then he goes on to say that we were unable to prove the president innocent on the charges of interference. Well, I, I, wait, yeah. we couldn't find the president innocent? Right. I thought they couldn't find him guilty, so he is innocent. Right, exactly. And he said it up front. He said, going into it, you're innocent unless we say otherwise, but we weren't able to say that you're innocent. Wait, what? What? <laughs> that's, that's a kind of bureaucratic doublespeak. I got to get you to do that again. Wait, what? Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get that for my playback. You want to so record that. that? Go ahead. <laughs> um, it's bureaucratic doublespeak. And the other thing that I thought was particularly dangerous by Mueller, I, uh, I've worked with a lot. I've been a government attorney, U.S. government attorney. I've worked with a lot of government attorneys. I've worked far more with prosecutors than I, I have with defense counsel. I respect both of them. But I'm trying to say that I know a lot of prosecutors. I like prosecutors. But there are times in which there is this notion of prosecutor-itis. And he's got it, Mueller. And he's like, well, you know, if you interfere with us, uh, that's the worst thing in the world. Look, true interference is a crime. But the problem is that prosecutors often determine interference by the mere fact that you're not coming in on your hands and knees. And so I said this way back when Bill Clinton was being accused of wrongdoing. And one of the things, I'm not saying all the things they accused him of were wrong, but one of the things I recall him being accused of was he apparently talked with somebody. He said, well, don't you remember the events as such and such? And they said, oh, you're trying to shape that witness. That's witness tampering. Uh, no, that's a conversation. Because the other person could say, uh, no, I don't remember. Or, yes, I do remember. It's a, it's a question. 
So every interaction by someone who's under an investigation with a potential witness is not witness tampering, but what the prosecutors too often want is they want the, the, the person under investigation to sit in a jail cell or to sit in a hole or to sit in their home and not say anything to any other potential witness or in the press. You remember when um, Roger Stone was saying stuff to the press? Now, he's a flamboyant bit of a nutcase. But guess what? Flamboyant bit of a nutcase also have an opportunity to go on the radio. Some people have said that about me, Dave. Can you believe it? No, I can't. Thank you very much. That's your flamboyant? Yeah, and a bit of a nutcase. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, Mueller is overreaching here. And I agree with you, and this will be my last point so I can actually start breathing for a second. I agree with you that the Democrats are overreading what he has said, but with that said, he did it intentionally. He wanted to give them just enough porridge for them to slop it up, and that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and keep it going. That's right. Yeah, keep it going. And I want to do. Looking at one quote that's pulled out, and it's—I mean—you talk about verbal gymnastics. He says that if we had had confidence that the president clearly did not commit a crime we would have so i mean you talk about twisting and it's like you know that can be read it it really i used to think it was the most bogus uh, excuse uh when when bill clinton was testifying under deposition it depends on what the meaning of is is okay until i coached debate at uca and we would have entire debate sometimes over the meaning of the word should Right, right. And that's like a subject, subjunctive sentence that Mueller's giving you. Who even learned subjunctive in English class, right? <laughs> and this guy's using like conditional subjunctive. I don't even know what that means. And, and he's got it scripted out that uh, if I could say he were innocent, what? Wait, I'll give it to you, Dave. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I go right along with you because uh, here's, the, here's the way I've always viewed American law. If you don't have the goods on somebody, they're innocent. Period. That's right. right. If you think that they're innocent on something and not innocent on something else, then you prove to something else and they're guilty of that and innocent on the other thing. That's the way it always has worked as far as I'm concerned until all these lawyers now got a hold of the English language and and politicians and changed it. Well, it's almost like he's, he's putting the president in a position where he has to prove a negative. Right. How do you if can't. we concluded you that, cannot right. prove exactly. a negative. You're exactly can't right on that. Mark. It. And that's what he said in the report. That's why he's backpedaling somewhat now. Well, if we had if you had what? I don't even know what that means. It's really it's really inappropriate. And it's what Comey was criticized for uh, in part uh, when he was making his bogus ruling regarding Hillary Clinton. I say bogus because the truth is he articulated, in fact, that she committed a crime. Uh, but it's this kind of verbal gymnastics that these prosecutors are going through more lately than not, and it's inappropriate behavior. It's just it's outside the scope of what a prosecutor should be doing. Right. And, and the gymnastics are not just on the part of M- Mueller and Comey. Giuliani's done his share. I mean, his oh argument, Lord. his argument, which I think is valid, that how can you, if Mueller said there was no collusion and Trump's uh, incidents, the things he did were obstructing 
the investigation of something that didn't exist, then it's not a crime. Yeah, this is a very important point, actually. This, that is, can you have obstruction without any underlying crime? Now, there is some support for the answer of yes, but I agree with you, Mark. I think our criminal justice system should be conservative. You don't go throwing people in jail for obstructing a non-crime, an investigation of a non-crime. Right. Is it good behavior? Not necessarily, but it shouldn't be a crime. And our criminal justice system should have that approach more generally. That is, be reticent about grabbing people up and throwing them in jail, and in this instance, for allegedly interfering with a non-crime. It's a very important philosophical but practical issue that happens all the time in the criminal justice system. Absolutely. Well, if somebody is investigating somebody and they didn't do what they were investigating them about, how was I obstructing them if they can't find what's necessary to for the person to be guilty. If the person's here's not the guilty. argument for that. And remember, I don't support this position, but here's the argument on the other side. Oh, Dave, uh, you were involved with collusion with the Russians, some uh, crime of collusion, even though we don't know exactly what that right, is. Right, right. And so you went and you, uh, you thought that, um, that Mark was going to testify against you, and so you went to Mark and you brought him a bag of cash and said, Mark, I want you to say that I wasn't colluding uh, with, with the Russians. And Mark, of course, says, I don't want your bag of cash, but nonetheless, you made the attempt. That attempt, if you had actually committed a crime, would be an attempt to obstruct justice. But I don't think that even though that's icky behavior, you should be arrested for that if you didn't, in fact, commit a crime. Well, maybe you know you didn't commit a crime, right. but you know how the justice system works. Right. Yeah. They still right. get you for something. Well, I, I, I've been told by a very uh, esteemed judge, uh, he said, I don't care if you're guilty or innocent. Don't get your sleeve caught in that system. Because mm-hmm. even if you come out innocent, your shirt's gone. And that's the issue. <laughs> You've got to be real careful. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I think it goes a long way to showing how people have be, not have begun, but have taken and twisted lady, you know, lady justices. You know, I mean, she, they're taking the blindfold and they're choking her to death. There's an old Talmudic, that's a, a Jewish religious legal text, and there's an old Talmudic story about Moses. And Moses comes back to earth in modern day. And he goes to a class that they're teaching young boys uh, the Bible. Yeah. And the rabbi up front says, and this rule is such and such and so and so. And Moses is scratching his head. He, he thought, well, I, I met God. I thought I knew all the rules. And I don't know what, I never heard that one. And some student says, well, where did that rule come from? And uh, um, the rabbi says, it came straight from Moses. And Moses smiles. Because he realizes <laughs> that, you know, thousands of years later, it ain't what it started out as. Right. Um, and we do have that problem, particularly in the criminal justice system. We have contorted aspects of the law so that you look at it and you go, well, that doesn't make sense. How are you charging, for example, someone for obstructing justice when there was no underlying crime? That's just common sense. How are you saying we would have... Uh, proven him innocent if he is innocent as you said three minutes prior 
unless you prove them otherwise. Yeah. It's this kind of linguistic nonsense and this, this textual, this made up textual uh, um, sourcing that ha- makes lawyers have a bad reputation. Yeah, how how low is are lawyers? Are they above reporters or below reporters? You know, we're 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 all in the in that shallow end of the pond. <laughs> I can tell you that. All right, we got to get a break in. Let's do that. Also, since we're at uh, five nineteen, let's give away our final oil change. Sure. Sixty dollar oil change. How does this work now, Joe? Just so everybody knows. Just call Zach. Be the third caller. You get a $60 gift certificate, and you can spend it on whatever you want. You can do an oil change. If your oil change costs more, you get $60. If it costs less, you still got a credit on something. So there you go. It's pretty simple. That's it. Just call Zach and be the third caller, and he'll text me your name. We'll make a gift certificate All for right. you. All Number to call. Be the third caller. You're the winner. We'll be back with more. All right. Back with you here on the, uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Robert Steinbach is here. State Representative Mark Lowry is here. Joe is here. Uh, this is our, uh, you know, last hour here at our live broadcast from uh, Joe's Garage. Now, the reason we're here today is because on Saturday is going to be our uh, big uh, car show. We'll be on the air from 8 until 10 this Saturday with the car and truck doctors and I think that the way we got it fixed up, Joe, everybody will be making an appearance, right? Yes, I think so. So everybody All 10 can come. Of them. Yep. So we'll be looking for you to come on out at 10 o'clock and meet these truck and, and uh, car doctors that are on every Saturday. It doesn't cost to come to the car show. We'd like you to buy, if you would, from the folks at Ronald McDonald House, $2, uh, you know. Raffle for a ticket. Yeah, raffle ticket. Or just donate something. You yeah. can write a check. I promise you, you can write a $10,000 check. They'll take it. Yeah, I'd be like, for a good cause. If we have three, 4,000 people show up like we have in the past, I would like to be able to raise $10,000 for the Ronald McDonald House. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah that'd be a nice check to give them. That would help. Because here's what I know about having a nonprofit. They can take a dollar that you give and make it worth anywhere between 5 and $6. So... If you got up to ten thousand, be about like giving them fifty, sixty thousand dollars. They can do a lot with a dollar. I know that for a fact. When I had my nonprofit, how we would do that, get a lot of people to do a lot of things uh, for you on things like that. That's why I'm such a big supporter of PI Roofing. So the car and truck show is going to be located where? It's going to be in Conway. In Conway, over at the, at the big expo over there. Okay. Why? Because we're inside and air conditioning, and it's really, really nice. And if it's raining, you stay dry. If it's hot, you stay cool. If it's cold, you stay warm. I mean, if it snows, you don't freeze to death. Well, all the proceeds, even the the entry fee for the contestants in the car show goes towards Ronald McDonald House. Yes. And, you know, if if you don't know anything about Ronald McDonald House, it's uh, a house where, as a parent or a guardian of a sick baby— if you don't have to have any money, you don't have to have clothes on your back, they'll house you, clothe you, feed you, take care of you, transport you, and and make your life as being a, a parent of a sick baby a lot better while they're in the hospital. Yeah, a great story I heard about a family from Texarkana. They they rode up on the ambulance. Their mm-hmm. baby was really sick, and they yep. came up on the ambulance. They had no way of getting home. Nope. Ronald McDonald made sure they got home. Yep. That's, yeah, uh, that, really that's something to be... To, to be supporting. Yeah. It really is. That's that correct. way we don't have to go and 
raid the state treasury, all right, uh, or your your wallet listening in here. Your donations 100% go to all of those That's things. That's correct, 100%. Their house and, and no 90, overhead. 95% of the employees there don't get paid a dime. They're all volunteers. Hmm. Now, there's a few that have to be paid because they, they're, you know. But all the money we're getting, yes. everybody doesn't get paid. So yeah, we, well, that's the leverage we give the you're money. describing. Yeah, the yeah. leverage with a nonprofit. Absolutely. Like, particularly like the uh, Ronald McDonald House. Yeah. Yeah, it's great, great uh, charity, and that's where all of our money's been going for the last about seven years. Yes. And we'll continue to go there for as long I think as this uh, car show goes on. To be honest, Duck got us doing that because he's got a a niece, isn't it? Yeah, he he had some kin folks that were over there and went over there and visited and saw how good it was and what all they will do. And, you know, just just like the parents that rode in the ambulance, you got a kid that gets injured or sick, they go to the hospital, and you don't have time to go home and get anything. They and clothe you, and they feed you, they house you, they do everything for you. And you don't have to, you know, open a chair up in the waiting room and lay no. down and go to sleep there or they sleep nice in your rooms. kid's room. Yeah, very no. nice. Yeah, and, and the food's donated to them from local restaurants and stuff and canned goods and stuff. And... uh if if you do have an extended stay, like for months or whatever, and go home and get your clothes, they got washing machines for you to use. They just whatever you need, it's there for. You know, they take care of you really good. It works. Yeah, God bless them. It's a great yep. great place. So you got two minutes here, Robert. Where did this Where does this Mueller thing lead? Is it is it going to go anywhere, or is it just going to be used to make a bunch of noise to make uh, you know people to think about? Well, that just is a big just, right? So the Democrats were looking for a cudgel, and they've now gotten one. They're going to make a lot of noise. There's a greater chance that the House impeaches than there was prior to the Mueller um, statement. But you know that I said early on in your show, other people are saying it now, Dave, but I said early on, I think an impeachment would turn out good for the president. I think it would help him get reelected. But with that said, nobody wants to have to go through that process. I'm not saying it's going to be pleasant, but I think it would actually turn out to his benefit. I don't think they're going to impeach as of now. I think Nancy Pelosi is going to keep that on hold because she realizes the same politics that I've described, that in the end it would be bad for the Democrats. But that's a guess because with Nancy... She's always on that razor's edge, yeah. you know? You never can tell. Well, of course, the thing she's looking at is maintaining the Democrat majority in, in the House. Uh, the presidential race is one thing, but she has some moderate, some Democrats in Trump-heavy districts that those, those Democrats, even if they're incumbents, would probably lose in a re-election bid if they persist in being obstructionist, if they persist in also uh, insisting on impeachment. Uh, especially when there's no chance that the Senate is actually going to vote to impeach. Yeah, zero chance. I right. agree with you. All right, let's get to the news, and we'll come back, and we'll finish it up here from Joe's Garage. <laughs> 